Hi everybody, welcome to Wrong Term Memory. As always, it is me, Jack. And it's me, Colin. Hello, Jack. How are you? Yes, I am good, my man. How are you? Um, we both sounded very robotic there. I <laughs> am good, my man. How are you? Um, this would be good if we could do an AI podcast and have the week off, wouldn't it? Um, I'm all right. I'm good. Um, we're recording this uh, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Um, I had a half day from work today. I was getting tattooed. Um, I was off Monday for the bank holiday. I was off Tuesday because I was getting a haircut, but the haircut never happened because the barber got COVID. Um, so I've only done a week and a half's work this week, which is a day and a half's work this week, which has been great so far. Um, so I am actually pretty good. I'm hungry. I'm looking forward to getting some dinner after we finish doing this. Yeah, that bank holiday on Monday, that's an English thing. It's not a Scottish bank holiday. Yeah. yeah, we didn't get it. All the students were back, so I've been hectic in work this week. And then today, this is really boring. But with VPN issues, and I was working from home, so I feel like I'm basically a day behind. And if they don't fix it by tomorrow, by the time I get in Monday, I'm just going to be chasing my arse for a week. So that's a bit of a downer. But it is a bit, but it is a, literally a day we don't have to do any work, I suppose, if you look at that, try and look at the positive side of it. Yeah, it's not, so, it's not so much that I didn't do any work, it's that like the work I did was taking notes on paper because I don't have access to the network stuff, so I'll need to just type all that shit up. So you still worked then? I still worked, but I couldn't finish my work. Yeah, yeah, But, yeah, like I said, not particularly boring show, uh, not particularly exciting stuff. Last week, we did part one of History of Bowls. I thought we would do it in one episode, but no, it's going to be two episodes, I'm afraid, guys. So, funny enough, I was talking to my parents about this the other day. Uh-huh. Um, what day was it? Monday, Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. Um, I basically I was telling them we did a, we did a show on bowls, and I said Jack was telling me about how bowling clubs cheat and uh-huh. how they let people win. No, they don't. They says they do. Says happens all the time. No. What what does what what is it he does? And I said, well, this is how I explained it, which is probably wrong. I said, if you're playing like district and the club's winning 7-2 they can't win so they'll just lose the next one and lose 8-2 on purpose to get it over with right okay you didn't explain like it particularly well no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they couldn't yeah. understand any logic to it whatsoever yeah that's because you've explained it really poorly yeah um, I've had a few people on Patreon sort of saying you You'll know see three years in that club, you cheating bastard. But yeah, it happens, and I know, I know it happened. It definitely happened at that fucking competition we were at recently with an R team who magically beat their own team in the last game type thing. So <clears throat> hey ho, right? I didn't explain that very well, so he probably doesn't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, they, they absolutely didn't. But that's nothing new when I'm talking to my parents. To be fair, well, that's it. Like there are. I don't know where the person that wrote this got this number from, but supposedly more than 200 bowling greens in Glasgow alone. So that's lots, right? That is a lot. My personal opinion is it's too many, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, especially in, like, almost within the same postcode districts, you know? Like, let's say you're in the south side and you've got Moss Park, Fairfield, Bella Houston, Crookston, X, another four or five. There's just tons of clubs all 
close. It's kind of like the Scottish football pyramid. There's there's too many clubs, you know, and like I, I think it would never happen because clubs are pretty tribalistic. But you could merge a lot of clubs, so you would have like one club in the area rather than four or five, and yeah. then that would be like a thriving bowling club. You know, it would have hundreds of members instead of like four clubs with like 60, 70, 80 members each. You know, that's just my personal opinion. I think, never, good, I think that's a good... It's never going to happen, but... And, and you know what? It won't happen because people are dafties. It's the same reason why Dundee and Dundee United should be the same football club and why Inverness, Cali Thistle and Ross County should be the same football team. Well, Inverness, Cali Thistle, already, they already merged. They need to merge again. They're still shining. <laughs> so they need uh, to merge again. So they need to merge twice in, yeah, in like 20 um, years or whatever. Motherwell and Hamilton combine. <laughs> um, who else is there? Is there a football team called Coat Bridge? Airdrie and Coat Bridge combine. Um, <laughs> Just squish them together. Every Honestly, who's who's next to Aberdeen? Stranraer or something? Aberdeen and Stranraer combine. I, I, I don't think Stranraer's near Aberdeen, but well, we'll, we'll go for it. That'll do. Combine. MD, who's not Rangers and Celtic and Hibs and Hart. Air United and Kilmarnock combine. Right? <laughs> All combine these fucking nobody bastards wasting spaces. Just combine. But yeah, maybe that's one for the other network. But anyway, sorry. I know you're right, and I think bowling clubs should just do that as well. Just squish together and be busier, be more competitive, and things like that. But you get laugh in the clubhouse when you get the wee wooden board, and it's like 1997 men's champion, and it's five different people <laughs> from the different okay. clubs. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Pretty good, but I know I think that's a good shout, mate. But they're, they're probably too daft to do it. Like on in this article that I'm reading from, like it says elaborate clubhouses now. I wouldn't go that far, but what's your opinion? You've been to parties in clubhouses. You've you've been to, I was, I was going to say other things, but it's basically parties. You know, a Friday night party with the DJ set up and stuff like that. What, what do you think of bowling club clubhouses? Um, I, I've been brought up in them basically. So yeah, I've only really been to I've been to three, I think. So right. I've been I spent most of my time in one in Clarkston, and I spend a lot of time in one in Giffnock because it shares. It's shared with a tennis club that I'm a social member of. It was the Giffnock pairs I was playing in next to the, no, the bowling club next to that. Next to the tennis club, yeah. Yeah, it was the Giffnock pairs I was playing yeah. in where a team cheated, definitely. <laughs> um, so the Giffnock one and the Clarkston one are both pretty nice. Um, I was at a funeral recently at Moss Park as well. And oh, that was yeah. a nice bowling club. It was nice enough inside. They're all... They're all similar, a lot of them. The, the Giffnock one's slightly different because it's been really modernised and it's got the tennis involved in it as well, which I think is a quite a, a nifty revenue stream compared to bowling. Oh. But the, they're, they're, they're all wooden, aren't they? There's a lot of wood in bowling there's clubs. A lot of wood, yeah. There's a bar and a lounge, which is a concept I've never truly understood, really. Um, even when it comes to pubs, the difference between a bar and a lounge. Um They've usually got a little bit of kitchen off to the side and quite a small bar. And it's like they were all pretty much designed by the same person. A lot of the time. A lot of the places will have like maybe a wee pool table somewhere squeezed in. Yeah, a wee trophy cabinet. A couple of wee trophy cabinets. There will normally be a wee like committee room, which normally the yeah. door will be shut at these events. Yeah, I've been, um, in, I've been invited into that before. with a free drink before in the committee room. I've, had, I've been lucky enough to experience that in my time. It's the place to be if you want to get free drink, yeah. So yeah. Um, there's also there's usually a wee shelf with books 
and you can uh, just take a book and bring a book back. Yeah, a lot of places have the sort of, yeah, like swappy places. Yep. Yeah, that's quite good. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe them as, to go back to pre- the, the, the earlier point, I don't think I'd be describing any of them. Even the really nice one in Giftnock that I like is elaborate. No, I'm the same. Like it says, they are much of a much. Now, obviously most of the time it's outdoor bowls, but the, the indoor bowls has become reasonably popular. Um, I tried to play it. I played it when I was younger. I used to go to a place called White Inns, just through the tunnel, through the, the Clyde Tunnel. I used to play there as a junior and quite enjoyed it and then never played for years and years and years and then went back last year and because it's such a different game I just didn't enjoy it I just didn't enjoy it at all so I ended up only playing about half the season last year before thinking why am I putting myself through this I'm going two three nights a week and like actually putting myself in a bad mood because it's so shit it just seems like a completely different thing playing in a a smaller space on a wooden floor. No, you're mix. No, you're again. You're mixing up carpet bowls and like indoor bowls. So indoor oh. bowls, like a, indoor bowls is like a full size place. Oh, right. with like a a a car. Say carpeted. It's like a full size bowling green, but they do do the wee sort of carpeted bowls type thing. And, that, and yeah, that's a completely different game again. Yeah, carpet um, bowls is the one I know. My, my dad plays carpet bowls the uh, Monday night. So. Mm-hmm. It's not that, it's, the, it's like the, the indoor bowls. The stuff that's yeah. on the telly every now and again. Okay. That's the sort of... And for some reason, the telly went to blue-green. Blue-green, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, blue I carpet. I don't know, maybe, maybe it just looks better on the telly or something. Maybe it's easier to see things. I don't know. Maybe they were using green screen for stuff in the background or something. I don't know. And, and it was, it was really that. fucking things up. <laughs> Suddenly the bowlers have got here? an elaborate background there. Yeah. Have you ever seen the pictures of the Match of the Day studio? I have, yes. It's, it's quite jarring the first time you see it, that yeah. that whole match of the day studio is just a desk and some chairs. The floor, the walls, the ceiling, the screens, everything is fake, doesn't exist. It's all, yeah, it's all just green screened. It's mad. Yeah, that's it. Now, again, this guy who's written this, I think, uh, has got bowling leanings, basically, because what he's trying to say here is that with this ability to play all year round, the game of bowls is reportedly out distancing golf as the national game of Scotland. You think this guy's just plucked this out of thin air and made it up because it fucking sounds like it? I don't think I, I, it will never be seen as Scotland's national game. I think Scotland's national game is is football then golf. That's um, football, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's more golfers or more bowlers in the world. Um. Definitely there's golf. It's got to be golfers. I've got to think there's more golfers because there's a lot more young golfers. A lot of people don't start bowling. I mean, you're obviously slightly you're in the anomaly here, but a lot of people don't start bowling until they get to retirement or older, whereas golf can be played all throughout. Um, golf it's a much more popular sport, much more money in it. It's on Sky yeah. Sports. It's got its own Sky Sports channel. And people do, play people, golf. people do play golf all year round. Um, whereas most people don't have access to indoor bowling. Most clubs have just got their, their green outside and that's it, and that shuts for three or four months every year. So, Yeah, there's there's only, there's only probably about three or four indoor bowling clubs in Glasgow. There's one up at Hamden. Yes. There's the one in White Inns, like I says. There used to be one in Paisley, which I think shut down because of the numbers dwindling. So 
Um, yeah, so yeah, I don't agree with this guy that's that's writing this, but it's fucking everybody nowadays sees it as a sort of gentle game, you know, the sort of nods of appreciation, the gentle, civilized applause, the polite handshakes, and everybody's like are pretty genuine and stuff like that. But um, it used to be more violent. It used to actually be quite a violent sport, did balls, supposedly. Um, and it took a guy from Scotland, a guy called W.W. Mitchell, to clean up the game. And this was only around about 100 years ago. And he had to outlaw, <laughs> listen to this, kicking, <laughs> hacking, and tripping on... The green, basically. So, like, somebody's about no, to throw no, the board. I'm like, uh, no, I can't, I can't, I can't oh, read that. Yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the sacred turf. The sacred turf. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I really wanted to not say that. <laughs> really wanted to not say that, mate. Um, when are you next playing balls? Yeah. When are you next playing balls? I'm playing a... Monday. Right, Monday. I want you to get there before the game... Have a pint before it. Drink your pint quickly and put it down in the bar and say, I'll see you out in the sacred turf, guys. <laughs> see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I played last week. I beat, I get, beat in the final. I think karma maybe me admitting to um, the legalities or the illegalities of bowling <laughs> come back as karma. So you beat last week. So I'm playing a, another big game on Monday night. It's, it's sort, of coming, sort of slows down at this, this point of the season. Um, you end up playing like you have like the what they call it, the champion of champions at the end of the year, so like all your club champions and stuff yeah. like that play all against each other um, so I've been picked for that in the fours, which is nice So It's it's, um, it's my dad's clubs, they're, it's their they're they're announcing the men's champion this Sunday and um, he was telling me it's at, it's at two o'clock on Sunday and I said you'll miss the end of the old firm game, he went Oh yeah, but I can't miss it. I can't miss the champions of champion. I can't miss any of that day. I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> I phoned them back later that night. And I said, I've got a spare ticket for this Rangers Celtic game if you want it. <laughs> Aye, I'll take it. <laughs> so that 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 game's been sacked off. He's not going anymore. So yeah, it's good to know that he's priority still alive with the football, just slightly above the balls at times. Yeah, well, that's it. That's it. So again, we're going back to a bit of history now, Colin. The okay. royal heritage of balls. Um, like we we sort of mentioned that it was for hoity-toity types, the the upper class basically, and it's been called here the real sport of kings, from round about the time of Edward the Third. The game was restricted by royal decree to noblemen. I think we mentioned that basically people that owned manors and lands, so you had to be right at the top table to be able to to play it. Um, but then. King Henry III, man of the people by the sounds of it, he eventually had a bowling green installed at Whitehall and allowed commoners to play on, I don't know if this was just on Christmas Day as if it was like a present to them or if it started on a Christmas Day and he let them play all year round. But What a guy. Um, what a guy, yeah. But again, there was no sort of real effort to enforce the ban and it didn't apply to Scotland at the time. Um, so all the English monarchs were bowlers uh, and the royal estates were all had these sort of fine bowling greens. And King James I was a bowler as well, as was his son. Um, but yeah, like I says, they used to play, used to gamble quite heavily um, for pretty pretty high stakes. 
So according to one story, um, King Charles lost over £5,000 in one encounter. Is that um, £5,000 then or £5,000? Yes, because I did the uh, inflation calculator or whatever to see what yeah. it would be worth nowadays. And it works out. Um, this was against a guy called Richard Shoot, um, a merchant at the time. Um, £3.7 million. Pounds, Jesus. <laughs> Quite a lot, isn't it? That's a lot to be betting on a game of bowls, yes. A lot. Mm-hmm. It really is, it really is. Uh, there was also a bowling green at Windsor Castle, and Anne Boleyn was supposedly quite uh, a keen bowler um, alongside Princess Elizabeth and Queen Victoria. We know who Anne Boleyn is, yeah. She's the, yeah, Henry VIII, she's number two or number three, the one that had her head chopped off. Yeah, she is number two. Two. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, late Queen Mary, King Edward V, both enjoyed some bowls as well. Again, Edward VIII was a Duke of Windsor at the time, and he was actually uh, the president of an institution that I had never heard of, the Royal Household Bowling Club of Windsor Castle. And again, um, his brother was a patron of the EBA, the English Bowling Association. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's definitely a common man game now, let's be honest. like See, when you think of a bowling club now, you, you think just... Working class guys, working class yeah. women playing bowls. There's none of this nobility sort of kicking about anymore. I think that... That's a good thing about it because, I mean, I dare say you can spend a fortune on bowls if you wanted to, but MD can join a bowling club. There's usually a set of bowls they can get given to practice with, make sure it's for them. Aye. What's your bowling club fees? £150, £200 a year? Yeah, £120. Yeah. So that's. It's actually quite a cheap entrance for people. Um, I especially if you're a first, if you're a first year, like see if you're a new member at a club. Like when I joined my new club, I just paid half price, right. half price for the first year. So it's only sixty quid, a fiver a month. You should just join a new club every year. <laughs> Don't make any pals right and just bounce a bowling club. Not not all bowling clubs do that. There was a bowling club round the corner from where I used to stay, and round the corner from you, Colin. Um, yes, that bowling club. When I inquired about joining them, they wanted a joining fee and a full year's fee. So the joining fee is basically a year's fees plus a full year's fee. So they wanted 240 quid for the first year. And you told them to ram it. I told them to ram it, yeah. But a lot of the sort of a lot of the sort of bigger when I say bigger clubs, the more the clubs with more members feel like they can sort of do that, you know, whereas a lot of other clubs are just sort of people want people through the door. And they want to give them that chance. So I decided, I'm glad I never joined there because I moved. Um, I would have only joined there for the how close it was to the house. Yeah, and now it's not. Now it's not, exactly, exactly. Uh, right, Colin, you want to tell us a little bit about the noble heritage? I know we're sort of going over. Um, there's going to be some names here that aren't royalty, but that aren't kings and queens, basically. So, yeah, in terms of noble heritage, then in the early days, it was very fashionable for the Aristotle. <laughs> Yep, I never say that word as soon as I read it. The aristocracy, yeah, um, to have private bowling greens of their own. Uh, Samuel Pepys mentioned Samuel. in his diary. Um, <laughs> sorry, 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 Samuel Peeps. That's not spelt like that, though. I know it's got a Y in it. Yeah, fair enough, but it's just pronounced Peeps, mate. Sorry, <laughs> Samuel P E P Y S, right? Samuel Peeps. Peeps. 
Uh, mentioned in his diary, he'd been invited to play at the bowls of the nobility and the gentry. Uh, Sir Francis Bacon, Sir Walter Raleigh, um, Victor Hugo and Lord Macaulay were all bowlers. Um, Sir Walter Raleigh, also famous, Jack, for uh, bringing the potato to the yeah. Universities. So there we are. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what these guys did. Oh, right. Okay. I've not read on in that, so that's good. Okay. That was just... That was just because otherwise, away. Samuel Pepes is just a name. Right. So Samuel Pepes was from Portugal and... Um, no, he wasn't. <laughs> no, but it sounded, didn't it? He was an English diarist and yes. a simple administrator. <clears throat> um, so he wrote a diary and looked at belly buttons. Um, he served as administrator of the Royal Navy and a member of Parliament, and he's most famous for the diary he kept for a decade. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to like say I've read it or anything like. That, but he is like the most famous diarist of all time, basically. Even more so than Anne Frank. On a par, at least. Yeah. I, I, hopefully, has his. I've never read Anne Frank's diary purely because I don't think it sounds as if it'll be that interesting. Uh huh. Um, but if Pepe's was going about and doing stuff for a decade, there's probably a lot more to it. Ah, he was like a mad diarist. I think it's like every day of his life he sort of diaried. Is that the word for yeah, it? Wrote um, in his diary. I think, what they, I think what they say now is the journal. The a journal. journal. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Apple have just built a journal into the operating system now, and they're trying to encourage people for mental health and for well-being to start journaling. Um. So I, I was thinking about starting it now because Apple says it's a good idea. Cool. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I'd love that about you. you. Just hold your hands up and say, because Apple told me yeah, um, I may yeah. as well start writing a diary. But yeah, Samuel Pepe's was the, the Bridget Jones of his time, I suppose. Um, yep. Francis Bacon um, was an English philosopher and a statesman who served as Attorney General and the Lord Chancellor of England under King James I. Uh, Bacon led the advancement of both natural philosophy and the scientific methods. And his works remained influential, even in the late stages of the scientific revolution. So he was a bit of a smarty pants, was Mr Bacon. Yeah, he absolutely was. Um, Victor Marie Hugo was a French romantic writer and a politician. Mm-hmm. Um, he most famously wrote, okay, yeah, this I guess guy is well known. He yep. wrote The Hunchback, <laughs> the Hunchback of Notre Dame and Les Miserables, um, both in 1831 and 1862. Um, respectfully, so yeah, started off talking about the guy, old Quasimodo ringing the bell, and then that guy building the ship and that on the Miserables. So yeah, that's that's good going. Um, this guy's a bit oh, boring, so I'll take this one, but because right, you okay. mentioned the potato guy, so we'll get to him in a minute. But we've okay. got. I just want to take this guy because he's got the, the the greatest second name of all time, um, Thomas Babington uh, Macaulay. <laughs> British historian and Whig politician back in the day, well, the Whig was like a big party. Um, ah, he, okay, yeah. Yeah, so the, the Whigs. Uh, he was the Secretary of War, so he was like top potato when it was um, about going to war between 1839 and 1841. He was in charge of all that sort of shit. So uh, I don't know much about him, um, but I imagine being Secretary of War back then, you would have been kept going. Yeah, they were always war on a Sunday, weren't they? Yeah, they, they had, um, aye, they were, you're right. Um, okay, so Sir Walter Raleigh um, was an English statesman, soldier, writer, explorer, and uh, bike maker, and uh, one of the most notable figures of the Liberation <laughs> era. He played a leading part in English colonisation of North America. He suppressed rebellion in Ireland. Mm. He helped defend England against the Spanish Armada 
and he held political positions under Elizabeth I. And as I exclusively revealed earlier, he brought mm. the potato uh, to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what country he brought it from. America, I think, perhaps. Yeah, um, South America somewhere, I'm sure. South America, was it? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so he did that. So we've got a lot to be thankful to him for, for sure. Yeah, um, we've got British officers. Um, they installed bowling games in the American colonies, so we're spreading bowls out across the world in New York in 1725 and in Port Royal, Canada in 1734. George Vanderbilt and John D. Rockefeller, both in private bowling greens. You've heard of the Rockefellers? Yeah, they've got all the money in it. Yeah, they've got all the money um, on their estates in 1896. Um, again, so Sir Francis Drake and Sir Walter Raleigh, they were sort of kicking about together and supposedly were right in the middle of a, a game of bowls uh, when the word reached them of the impending assault of the Spanish Armada, basically. And it was said that Sir Francis finished the game before <laughs> um, sailing to engage the Spanish. So dedication. Um, yeah, he wasn't games on purpose, was he? Was that? He wasn't, he wasn't throwing any games on purpose. No, he was not he? letting. But the, none of his teammates were playing other games. You see, so <laughs> yeah, so he had to wait for the incoming tide to peak before he could get his ship out of harbour. Anyway, so uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't have mattered if he finished his game or not. So uh, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, we've we've reached that point in the show where we're going to talk a little bit about excess. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to, to introduce a little section, Jack, I've not told you about because it was a surprise, but right. I want to talk about XNs each week, but at the same time, because saving lives is important, uh-huh. it's also important to laugh, so I want to introduce a joke of the week section. Okay. And I heard one in the pub the other night that I've been wanting to tell you ever since I heard it. Right, okay. What do you get if you combine a brown chicken and a brown cow? I don't know. Brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> That's actually good. <laughs> oh, <laughs> who told you that? Anybody I know? No. Yeah, uh, it was. No, it was. I was with Tony, but with our boys, you don't know. All right, um, okay. Brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> That's actually quite a good one, aye, but um, I don't mind that wee section, mate, I enjoyed that, but uh, the section that we do do just now is obviously speak about XSense, and um, Michael from XSense has sent us recently the Wi-Fi water leak detector that I have. Now, I'm not saying it stops things like floods, but my house hasn't flooded since I like put them under the sink, so make of that what you will. By, um, if it did flood, you'd know about it in time to fix it, which is the key thing here. It's like, big thing. Yes. it's like giving an African a fish, right? That's nice. But that gives them dinner for that one night. If you mm. give them a net, they're going to be feeding forever. So yes. it's kind of, it's kind of the, the water-saving, life-saving, house-saving version of that. Mm-hmm. Like Michael's like Jesus in a lot of ways. Yeah, not only water, but the opposite of water, fire, they protect you from that. Cutting-edge smoke detectors, carbon monoxide, that sneaky gas that will kill you as well, and other smart home security systems again designed to keep you and your loved ones alive and say alive and but yeah it does keep you alive and safe 24 7 basically um easy to install devices smart technology all linked to your phone and stuff like that so if you're into gadgets and keeping safe then this is the place to go and the place to go to see all their stuff is their homepage calling um x-sense.com yeah or also, you also go on Amazon if you're an Amazon person that's into that. Mm-hmm. You can check them out. They've got their own store on Amazon. Maybe they deals and stuff throughout the year as well. But yeah, protect what matters most with excess. Exactly. The American scene of bowls, Colin. So let you take this and then 
maybe another five, five, ten minutes. I know we're getting a bit sick of bowl, so we'll just batter through the last couple of sections here. Okay, so let's see what the Americans did to come and improve this then. So, um, <laughs> lawn bowling appears to be introduced to the American colonies in the 1600s, although archaeologists have uncovered biased stone bowls, which are now in a museum in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, which indicate that a similar game was played by the North American Indians centuries before this. Mm-hmm. Um, bowling games were recorded in Boston in 1615. Uh, New Amsterdam, which is obviously what New York was previously called, and uh, also found not long after that in Washington and in Virginia, um, which which is pretty cool. Um, that's the Americans were also getting involved in the old bowls. Um, there was also bowling at Mount Vernon um, in 1726. George Washington's father, Augustus, took over management of the family estate at Mount Vernon, and in 1732, the same year that George Washington was born, he built himself a bowling green. So he was a very hands-on father by the sounds of things. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you look after the child, I am uh, building that green outside. Yeah, that's like getting somebody pregnant nowadays and buying yourself a PlayStation. Um, <laughs> at this time, the game was highly favoured as a genteel pastime by the ranking officers of the British Colonial Army, and the green at Mount Vernon was undoubtedly very popular. Uh, George Washington himself obviously grew up with the game, having a green at the house. He became an avid bowler in his youth. And he never lost that love in the game. Um, he kept the green busy through the years. And uh, by 1974, he'd come into his inheritance and settled down with Martha Washington. And they kept up that family tradition by sponsoring the bowling on the green and uh, inviting over intelligence and ranking army officers to get involved and play on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, th- this is when things got a little bit iffy because those uh, ungrateful Americans wanted a little bit of independence and stuff like that. What so, like? Yeah, what they like. So the the bowling kind of lost its popularity during the revolution, basically in 1776, with the declaration of independence. The colonies were sort of torn apart. Those still loyal to the British basically fled to Canada. So Canada still got a bowling scene that we'll get to in a minute. Um, but uh, others were sort of killed, chopped up. Yeah, and the property was confiscated, basically. <laughs> so I saw a wartime hysteria swept. Um, like, eating British was bad, you know, and that included bowling greens. So the naughty bastards decided to plough them up and converted them into campgrounds or planted them with flowers and trees and stuff like that and just hide them as much as uh, possible. And at Mount Vernon, the abandoned green was planted with young, full-grown trees described as a rugged type of magnolia. There you are. One of these trees, the Washington Magnolia, planted in the garden entrance to the bowling green, is reputed to still be kicking about today. Oh, that's quite intelligent. Uh, quite mm-hmm. intelligent, quite impressive, I mean, sorry. Right, the Canadians, Colin. Well, what's your thoughts? We've never really spoken about Canadians. Um, I've met, we spoke about this before, how I've never met a Welsh person in real life and people don't believe yeah. me. Or a, an Australian. Both, I don't think, I've never met either. I've met one or two Canadians. And they very much fell into the stereotype of Canadians, I will admit. So, so what, what is that stereotype to you? Just dead friendly and nice and sort of apologetic about things. Like, yeah. yeah. I kind of associate Canadians like... So I like Canadians. I think they're fine. I think they're good. But I think they're a wee bit like East Kilbride. Like... So kind of kind of Glaswegian? Like they're kind of American? They kind of wish they were for Glaswegian. <laughs> right, okay. Right, they kind of wish they were for the proper place, but they're not... Um, they they do a lot of nice things. So they actually look after their people a lot better than America does. But I think that's only because there's only about nine of them spread out and six Aye. of them speak French. Twelve. But it's, 
there's there's very much a hint of these co-bride to them where they're just almost they're, they're kind of looking over their shoulder thinking about what could have been had they been born just a few miles west. Um, but they got involved in the old bowling. Um, they 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 helped preserve the American game basically because um, the game spread across the continent to Vancouver and it grew in popularity. Um, in time, they started friendly games across the border. And um, all the old animos- animosities and hatred and fighting and all that was forgotten. Yeah, I love the way that the guys written this as if bowls saved the day. You know, <laughs> there was no more animosity after a game of bowls. So. Yeah, also right. His next sentence is just written with love as well. Right. Okay. There's a certain magic in this game, and it builds lasting friendships. And bowls has done a lot to cement the friendly relations that now exist between <laughs> Canada and the United States. <laughs> Never realised they wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the game was not revived in the US until 1879 when a bowler named Sheplin started a small private club in New Jersey. Um, soon this expanded to a second club in, 19, in 1885, the Middlesex Bowling Green Club. It was officially organised. Clubs popped up in Boston. And then 14 years or so after that, they were in the West Coast, uh, San Francisco, uh, Golden Gate Park, California got involved, Los Angeles got involved. Uh-huh. And um, there's now more than 30 clubs in Los Angeles. That, that so, seems like loads. It does seem know. a lot, but you, the, the the very idea of a bowling club and that, that that use of land in Los Angeles would be mad because uh-huh. like golf clubs are so expensive there because it's just they, don't, they want to build on the land. Um, it'd be good. I can imagine Larry. I can imagine Larry David on the bowling club in the bowling green. That would be a good thing for Curb to Enthusiasm to do. A wee LA based bowling episode where Larry takes up bowling rather than golf one week would be quite good. That'd be not bad, eh? Um, they could do a whole story about him being blackballed and not allowed in or something, it would be good. Right, okay. Then, so, I've just Googled Lawn Bowling Club Los Angeles and Holmby, Holmby Park Lawn Bowling Club has its own website and it says our club is the only lawn bowling club operating in the city of Los Angeles so there might not be 30 this guy might just be absolutely full of it look at the look have have you found it wait wait wait. (laughs) right uh, wait I'm just going to send you a link yeah send me the link and I'll open it (laughs) when you think about bowling clubs here and when you think about wait wait, do we see this the the first picture of course it is that's Oh, for fuck's sake. Palm trees and sunshine and beautifulness, and then just a wee bowling green. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the, gra- the grass in the green isn't as good as the grass over here. No, too hot for. Yeah, really you're not that. getting, it's, if anything, it's grey rather than green. Yeah, it doesn't uh, look, it doesn't I can talk with that for everything else around it, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, is, there, is there a list of their prices on the website at all? I just I, I just closed it. <laughs> I've got it here. I'm just having a look. Looking at the committee, they've got a picture of the committee there. Um, there. Two women, five men. Four, um, four gallery. Go to About Our Club and you'll see it. About Our Club. Yeah. Yeah, all about the same age as you would imagine. Um, there's a, there's a, if you keep scrolling down, there's a picture of them all dressed up for Halloween. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> actually not bad costumes to be fair yeah totally you blonde one at the front looks alright right, right. <laughs> so okay um, so we went all through the, the all through 
the the world time and history of bowling, and we've ended up perving at a woman for a bowling club in Los Angeles at the end of it, right? Yeah, pretty standard form. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Well done. Right, um, okay. I just want to say kudos to you. Congratulations. You put all that together over two episodes. Um, when you told me you wanted to do a show in bowling, I thought, fuck off. I thought, this is going to be terrible. What the fuck is it to put bowling for? But you put something together that I thoroughly enjoyed, mate, so thank you. Yeah, good stuff, mate. I enjoyed it as well because it's... See, when you, see when you kind of know what you're talking about, it means you can... Um, you don't need to do much studying in the inverted comments, but I enjoyed it and I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. Leave your comments on Patreon. If you're not on Patreon, obviously patreon.com forward slash long-term memory. Uh, bonus episodes each week, stuff like that. So get on over there and stop being a pleb. Yes, <laughs> and podding about things we know about. I don't know if we should ever really start that or not, but we can no. see how it went. Thanks for listening. Bye. Colin, I personally don't think there's anybody still listening and if they are, they're pretty hardcore long-term memory fans and I would be expecting them to go and sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash long-term memory or by clicking the link in the show notes. Absolutely. And if for whatever reason they can't do that and paying for content isn't their bag, they can still offer us continual support by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.